Taking off in five, four, three, two. Yo, 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 it's your boy Tito's, you know. Boy, old rain, real name, no games, no gimmicks. Yo, it's the motherfucking Fade Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything TV, media, and film related, along with any other goddamn thing we want to talk about. Coming to you live, direct our studios, Baltimore City. What the fuck is indeed up? Before we get to anything else, ladies and gentlemen. All rise. The honorable judge is now proceeding. Is it, or is it presiding? Whatever you want to take it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got a film report for you today. We we left off last week's conversation with Godfather Part One or Godfather Part Two. Although I think they just call it Godfather. I don't think they call it Part One. But is it called Part One? Part One. It's just Godfather. It's just Godfather. But, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have a court session in order to uh, hash out exactly which godfather is indeed the best godfather okay we'll stop with that crazy music because it was getting a little wild um so we both we we watched godfather uh the godfather and then we watched godfather part two and we said uh we we, we did a press play on both and we said we'd come back we talk about hash it out to deliberate about which film is the better film? It's a it's an age old question, right? Ever since they they both came out, they both have gotten critical acclaim. Um, some would say that Godfather Part Two is is arguably the best sequel of all, all time. Um, so, without further ado, I've got some fire, man. Listen, uh, I've been thinking about this. Yeah, I wrote down some notes. Okay, I read a bunch of articles and shit. <laughs> I got some heat for you. All right. Um, so I will present my case first. Sure. Uh, Your Honor, my client. <laughs> my client. My client, the Godfather one. At its core, at the root of its story. And, and let's talk about that story for a second, right? So this is the uh, it's somewhat of not necessarily your origin story, but it tells the early family story of the Corleones. You have a young Michael Corleone. You have... A young Vito, a young Sonny. You have uh, Don Vito Corleone, who is the you know the patriarch, the leader of the family, um, and it's telling the story. The family's you know currently in power, uh, or not currently in power, but the family is uh, you know prominent family in New York City. Um, they're obviously in the organized crime business. Um, they're obviously in the crime business, right? But like it, the story isn't really about that. It's a family story. Mm-hmm. And you get all of that. You get all of the family. You get Marlon Brando as um, as as Don Vito Corleone. Mm-hmm. You get to see the love for his family and the hope that he has for his family. You get to see Sonny, who, in his father's absence, when you know um, Vito is shot, you know, kind of takes on the leadership role in the family. Maybe he doesn't go about things the right way. Sonny's a bit more abrasive, but you know, you get to see the eldest sons had the opportunity to 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 lead the family sure. um fredo the middle child you get to see his struggles finding his place right in the family michael you see you see so much growth in michael uh, uh michael corleone played by al pacino from this uh i'm not going to say meek but this you know the young man who's uh who goes off into the military who returns a war hero who then uh, reluctantly steps into the family business and by the end of the movie you see him kind of do a 360 and become a completely different man you see uh you see him 
Yeah. Not just enter the family business, but take on the helm of it. So there's there's the family story there. There's character building. There's development. There's mm. the, the score is grand. You know what they call this? They call this filibustering. When you no, just keep no, talking no, no, and then nothing no. else. Get to the no, point. No, I'm presenting my client's story. Okay. Get to the point. So I think what The Godfather Part 1 does better than Godfather Part 2 is like the story itself. Like the family story, mm. character development. Um, you see, you see the, you see wins, you see losses, you get much more of that than you get in Godfather two, which is really just a story of Michael Corleone, Al Pacino's character, um, kind of just what, what happens when power corrupts. Mm. Okay. So what is your ultimate, uh, verdict or not verdict since you're the the original, the Godfather part one just has, has a better storyline has better character development. I think better acting. Okay. Uh, here's what I'll present to the court. Okay. What I would present to the court is that even the very question we're framing the wrong way. What is the better film, right? Mm -hmm. As with all. I object. (laughs) I mean, okay, (laughs) cool. cool. (laughs) Um, the, The act of making a film, right? It's by its very nature artistic, right? And we all know that art is subjective. Right. So that we may see the same thing, but pull two very different things out of it. So when you ask what the better film is, depends on who the fuck you're asking. It depends on what's important to them. Right. Furthermore. The the question gets brought up, what's the more iconic film? Right. Mm -hmm. I feel as though that's not even a question. Right. I think that. Both films, in fact, all three films, they they all have iconic moments, right? Like in part one, um, make you an offer you can't refuse. Right? Yeah, I think part and one has the most iconic, um, like lo- the single lines. You stole the words out of my mouth. There's so many quotable moments from the the, the first Godfather, and so many so many memorable uh, uh, visuals, right? Yeah. Like so, Marlon Brando sitting in the chair, you know, his face dark, you know, all that. Um, the horse's head in the, the horse's head and take it to the mattress. Exactly. So many memorable things. scenes. Yeah. I think it's not even a question which is the more iconic film. I think because of the presence of Brando, it's it's that the nod for that has to has to go to one. But I think the thing that everybody is currently missing in this is that the reason why we're all having such a hard time answering any of these questions is because even the premise of all that is incorrect. The truth is it's actually just one long ass movie. If you really think about it, it's uh, the Godfather, uh, the Godfather, the original um, is really a story about how Michael comes into power, right? Godfather part two, just like any great fucking either sequel or continuation of a story it's just literally a continuation of that same thought pattern of, okay, Michael comes into power. What happens when he comes into power, right? It's, you can look at one and two back to back and really just, it, it, you know, you might have to take a couple pee, pee breaks in there. It's like watching, um, you know, I remember watching Endgame thinking, I don't know, I got to make some bathroom decisions here. I don't Peter know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that it's just one long ass movie. They both have their their sort of like themes and things like that, right? And and they you know they both talk about family, and they look at it from different aspects. But ultimately, it's it's Michael's story that we're following, whether he's the protagonist or not, is is something 
something else to be argued, but we're essentially we're following his 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 journey here. Um, so we're seeing him coming home and being less you know a part of the family, and then by the end of the movie, he's at the head of the family, right? And then in part two, we're seeing how he tries to maintain power and and tries to um, or, or and and how he sort of accepts his his um, he leans into whatever his his perceptions of family of of uh the, the 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 mafia family um all that all that is so the 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 point that i'm making to the court is is that asking what the better movie is is the incorrect uh question asking what the more iconic movie is is also i think the incorrect question um because they're invalidated by the fact that it really is just one long ass movie that we're watching and the fact that francis or coppola pretty much brought back everybody from the first movie it's just a continuation of um uh, of the story uh so to, saying what's better or worse i think maybe people have their preferences in terms of what they believe is better or worse like i personally think that one is 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 for me uh or actually i'm sorry two is is for me the film that i prefer most because i love seeing the duality of seeing an earlier um vito corleone compared to a, a more you know a, a you know what's happening now with Michael and sort of seeing the juxtaposition yeah, yeah. Uh, of I, that. I, I, I love seeing sort of that, uh, yeah. that sort of. Um, yeah. Well, Your Honor, the people of the jury are here to make a decision. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, sure, we can say both films are great, but I'm here to argue my case and to defend my client. My client is The Godfather Part One. The film is more iconic. Mm -hmm. It is nostalgic. It has those iconic moments, those one-liners that we remember. The horse is taken to the mattress. Uh, um, we've got. Uh, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Right. Yeah. The Godfather Part Two simply builds off of the foundation. That was laid by the Godfather Part One. It lives in its are shadow. Godfather Part One is the better film, sure. Mm -hmm. And Godfather Part Two, Francis Ford Coppola had a lot more to work with. He had, mm -hmm. you know, they were able to Very film animated in, right in, now, in, in yeah. uh, Lake Tahoe, Nevada. They were to film yeah. in D.C. and New York. They had more to work with. But a young Francis Ford Coppola in the Godfather mm -hmm. One, uh, he, you know, it was the fight. He was fighting for his job the entire I film. See. Right? You fell and off track. That, you were you were on like yeah. you're on a wave, yeah. and then you just fell off the the edge of that. No, wave. no, no, no. I'm still yeah. on it. I'm still on. He was okay. fighting for his job the whole film. We've got a young Al Pacino. Again, there's story. There's character development. The score. The cinematography is artful. Is masterful. I present the case that Godfather Part One is the best film. People of the joy will let them decide. Well. Uh, I will say that uh, there is ultimately no true answer to this. Like I said, uh, sure. because it's it's all subjective. But uh, I would say that I'm correct, and I presented the the, the better argument. But that's not uh, a first year yeah, law yeah. student. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think I did pretty well. I built four hundred an hour. Fellas, in this case, I am the jury, and part one made two hundred eighty-seven million at the box office versus part two only eighty-eight million. Case closed, Your Honor. What what, what happened that year? What, what year did it come out? That was what nineteen seventy something. What seventy? Yeah, what Which happened one? that year? Uh, part two. When, when did part two come out? Uh, 74. What happened? Yeah, yeah something happened in 74. I don't know. Uh, wasn't that the uh, mis uh, the missile recession? crisis? Wasn't that Cuban missile crisis? I don't know. What was happened? Sure. Was there a famine? Yeah, wasn't it 9 11? Did 9 11 happen? 9 11. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen, but not, not the same event. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, I, I think both films are great. I think, uh, again, Godfather Part 2, there's just so much more story there. There's so much more to work with. Uh, again, like whether whether it's location, characters, I think Fred, uh, the character who played Fredo, uh, Kazale, something. Uh, I, I think 
you know, what he did as Fredo, taking this like meek, meager character, this kind of like you know character who wasn't really part of the story into in part one and making it like somewhat the center of the story in part two. Um, and then in part two, I mean, I think Al Pacino delivers some beautiful lines. Uh, what, what, did he, what did he say to, to Fredo? He was like, um, like, you're, like you, you betrayed me. Or like, you're not my brother or something like that. Like, yeah, I forget the exact remember line. When he but kissed yeah. Fredo and he was like, I know it was you, Fredo. Yeah. That was like, to me, that scene was just like, oh man, like when you, bet- when someone betrays you, that hurts. Yeah. When you've let them know that, you know, they betrayed you. That hurts too. Right. Yeah. And then when that, when you betrayed somebody and they know, they let you know. I'm going to need you to Yikes. draw a diagram or something. <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> All right. So ladies and gentlemen, that was, uh, that was film court. Uh, so yeah, uh, I took that W let it, uh, sure you did. Um, let us know in the comment section below what you think of the film, um, or, or what you think is the better film. If you even believe that that is the correct question in the first place, uh, comment below with, uh, with how you feel one way or another. Yeah, and if you need representation in court, call Finley, Finley and Finley law firm. That's not the same <laughs> thing, but <laughs> all right. Uh, I, if I had a gavel. I would bag the uh, bag the gavel, uh, bang the gavel. Uh, case closed. Okay, moving the fuck on. Um, let's do one of these. Tr- you know what? Let's do this week, last week, uh, or last week, next week. Um, so so yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna rattle off some things about uh, some things that happened last week. Some things that are gonna happen this week that I'm uh, that I thought was amazing and that I'm looking forward to uh, for the following week. Uh, so obviously we got to talk about the fly in the room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, during the uh, the VP debate, uh, Pence clearly, you know, had a, a little bit of a. I can't even call it a gaffe because it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't really his fault. Although I guess he was saying some bullshit. So, you know, the fly found where the shit was. Uh, I guess you can you can you can say. Um, but uh, the vice president debate between Camilla Harris and, and Mike Pence was this past week. Uh, and nobody gives a shit about any of the substance that was talked about. If there was any substance talked about during the debate, uh, all everybody could talk about is the fucking fly that just landed on Pence's head and seemed to just take a vacation. The, the fly was just like snoozing for a while. Yeah. It went to sleep for a little while, which was unfortunate because when that happened, Mike Pence was saying something that a lot of people now have missed that I think was really important. Mm. Um, he's basically saying that he doesn't believe that systemic racism exists anymore in the United States. Like it's yeah. not a thing. Um, but you know, the story was the fly and I get, you know, and, and to the fly's credit, I understand. Like I couldn't take that shit anymore either. <laughs> right. Like yeah. You're attracted to bullshit. You're a fly. You, you, you know, you, you find it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. where were they? That was, that, they were at like a air, airport right or uh, where airport. were they i don't know probably some gymnasium they somewhere. were in like salt lake city at the university of salt lake the... no fucking idea right yeah. that's a no fly zone <laughs> you don't even know like, what literally. the area is <laughs> yeah, I this, I, uh, i'll believe it though <laughs> it's, literally, it's literally a no fly zone fine planes can't fly overhead <laughs> flies aren't allowed to fly inside but that fly right. had a press pass we talked about this earlier <laughs> found its way in it was like you know what i, I gotta i gotta take a stand right here uh so yeah so that happened this past week uh also what happened this past week uh we got the boys season to finale uh which was i think really interesting it had some good moments got some weird moments some surprising moments uh but i was uh i think the boys this season proved that it's actually a good show the first season i think was it was pretty good but it was, it was okay i don't i don't i think everybody makes a much bigger deal out of that first season than you know uh than probably should be made um but 
the second second season was a step forward, uh, which I think is a really, really good thing. Uh, it got really good, had introduced a lot of different elements, some of it that was like heavy handed, some of it more, a little more subtle. Um, but uh, that, that show this past week and, you know, um, you know, there's like rumors that there are a couple of articles I didn't read them, but uh, that I, I just saw the headlines where that was like kind of putting it to question whether, you know, it was going to have a third season or if it would come back, you know, even past the third season that's mind-boggling you know i hope amazon doesn't pull a netflix and just start cutting shows that is actually fucking you know pretty good and that that are that everybody uh universally yeah because amazon doesn't have like in my much, opinion much yeah. great like original content or even like i mean content. it's got a lot of original content i just don't know how many people actually watch that original content right so but i know the boys is something that gets it's like game of thrones right where people are talking like week to week about it you yeah know, you know and and they made a good uh choice in terms of putting them out you know uh, they put the first half of the season out um and then they week to week uh the the rest of the uh the, the season for yeah, the other night i tried to uh i forget what i watched on amazon um i was watching like thursday night football and there was like a movie on amazon that i went to watch um and there just wasn't enough there for me like there just isn't enough content even the movies like the uh um the licensed movies that they have on there there is there aren't enough new films on amazon there aren't enough like really good old films i feel like what amazon needs to do is have a plug-in where you can like track your package while you watch your show that would be dope don't you think i mean can't you just track it while you watch your show but like on the same screen if you could have a little, little notification up in the corner where it's like your package will be here thursday but if it's like wednesday and i'm watching a movie why do i why do I care? Makes you feel good. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. listen, it's they all about feeling good. The Alexa turns from blue to yellow to let you know there's a notification. Hot damn. But like that's, Already a, that's like a different like little thing, right? Like the <laughs> the, the home thing, right? No, it pops up on the screen. On your screen? Oh, it does? Okay, great then. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Let's okay. move on. That was useless. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, technologies are also, I'm, I'm also looking forward to this week, uh, the trial of the Chicago 7, which mm-hmm. we did a review of the trailer uh, previously. Uh, that comes out this movie, uh, uh, a movie that just has a lot of uh, people in it. It's got uh, Eddie uh, Redmayne, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, uh, in it, um, as Sasha well as uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Didn't um, Gordon love it? Yeah, Jason Gordon love it. Yep. Um, or Justin Gordon love it? What is it? JGL? Is it Jason? Justin. Uh, I never, I can't remember. Joseph? <laughs> it's neither. What is it? It's Joseph Gordon love it. Yeah, one of those Jason Bible names. It's one of those Bible names. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so that is it for this week uh, or last week, this week. I'm never, I'm never going to remember the title for this. What, last week, last next week, week? <laughs> last week, next week. Last this, week, next yeah, week. Yeah. 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 Talk okay. about what, since we record this over the weekend, it just makes sense. We talk about what happened last week. We look forward to what's coming out mm-hmm. next week, uh, which I've changed it like the title like 18 times. And I haven't even told anybody. I just changed it like as I was saying it. But, uh, you know, that's what you do. Make, no, but that, make things that, up on the fly. That sounds better. Last week, next week. Fuck this there you week. Go. Yeah, I already got confused. Yeah. I already want to say this week, next week. No, no, no. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. <laughs> Tongue twisters. Uh, this episode is. Um, okay. You know what? I think uh, what we can do is do a little bit of an audible here. I think we can just jump into our press play, and then if we have time, we'll do something else. But I think we need to go ahead and get that out of the way, uh, and uh, and then see where we end up out of that. Uh, so, with that being said. We're here with another one. We just talked about the boys. Now, let's talk about the boys in the band. Let's do it. Um, so, uh, usually we have some air horns, but uh, we'll put my that in air later. horns seem not to be cooperating. Let's plug that in. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, this week we are doing our press play on the film The Boys in the Band. Um, so, let me give you the quick synopsis before we jump into uh, chopping it up 
chopping it up about the plot. Uh, so at a birthday party in 1968, New York, a surprise guest and a drunken game leave seven gay friends reckoning with unspoken feelings and buried truths. This film is directed by uh, Joe Mantel- uh, Mantello, I believe that's how you pronounce it, uh, and written by Mark uh, or sorry, Mart uh, Crowley, who actually uh, wrote the this is this movie is based off of a um, uh, 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 theater play, um, and uh, and there was a movie there after, but uh, it was originally based off of a um, off of a play. Uh, so Mart Crowley wrote the play, and I believe Ned Martell uh, wrote the um, wrote the screenplay for this uh, for this iteration of that uh, of that play. Um, so yeah, let's just quickly jump into what do we think about the plot uh, of the film, The Boys in the Band. Uh, so I thought the plot was uh, really interesting, right? This um, the, this birthday party, uh, 1968, for a group of um, friends who are all like you know gay men um, during a time in which being an openly gay man was not something like you know, or just being gay in general was not something openly spoke about, right? So it's kind of like they're having this like secret party. Even their neighbors next door are kind of like, you know, hey, what the fuck is going on in there, right? Yeah. You have to act like you're a completely different person. Yeah. Um, knowing that this was a play um, turned into a film kind of gives you a little bit more perspective. I think like not knowing that beforehand, you're going to be confused by it a little bit. Everything that's happening, why all this entire movie basically takes place in like one environment. Mm. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting. Uh just the storyline, how they continued to lay on and introduce characters throughout the story, introducing drama throughout this film. Um, you've got really funny moments. You've got musical moments. You've got really sad moments. You've got, uh, you know, anticipation, anxiety. Uh, this this movie really makes you feel all the feelings as you're watching it. Like in the beginning, I didn't like it. In the middle, I loved it. In the end, I hated it. And then the very end, I loved it again. Mm. Uh, so I, I just thought it was a, a fantastic storyline, character development, uh, music score was great, cinematography uh, lacked for me, but we'll, we'll we'll touch on a few of those things a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, th- this movie, it actually touched on a lot of different sort of like themes and ideas. Uh, and, uh, and and you're right. Uh, starting with the basis of that, this was all based off of a play um, uh, from 1968, nonetheless, um, it, it sheds light in terms of like how it's all sort of laid out. So like, everything from the acting to the staging everything uh feels like a play like without knowing that this is a play you can probably tell like if you if you are kind of used to seeing plays that are that could turn into movies you recognize pretty much immediately like, yeah oh this either used to be a play or like and it's even in like the acting right like mm-hmm. that that uh this like rapid dialogue right yep. where the, pace, there's of the pace of it uh is is i think unique and uh to 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 kind of like more like the playwright style right where there's not really time to like digest things so much mm-hmm. as like you're moving from like one thing to the other and and also what i've also noticed too is is that you know in in plays there's um there's constant you're doing there's always something somebody's doing in every yeah. like scene there's it's not just people are just sitting talking it's like somebody's fiddling with this thing you know they're trying to open this jar or they're you know they're they're trying to button up a shirt or something like that like there's always just something somebody's doing and i I think that film has the luxury of like being able to fill that space like that with music or just like or or they just capture people just not doing that much like moving through a a scene driving a car you still have that that in film like Mm -hmm. clearly right and that's you know most of film is based off of that but it's not as like stressed yeah as as it is i think with with place so you can tell that sort of like immediately 
but to talk about the actual themes of, of the plot. So this, it, it, it jumps off in a lot of different areas. Okay. So we'll, we'll you know, um, we'll try to touch on at least some of them. Um, one of the things that I, I picked up that it talked on was the idea of monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So you have the relationship between um, Hank and Larry, right. Um, who, uh, Hank is, uh, he's divorced or he's about to be divorced rather. Um, and I guess he, he left his wife and kids for Larry, uh, yep. who's sort of more, uh, who, who's, uh, more of a player than, uh, than, than, than Hank is obviously. Right. Uh, and so Hank is kind of like straight laced in a way that he just, he just wants to have a relationship with Larry, but Larry's kind of like, Oh, I mean, I kind of just want to have a relationship with other people. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and, so it, they their relationship was was interesting to sort of watch how all that sort of unfolded um because it 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 sort of clearly like illustrates what happens in a relationship when you're not on the same page as far as like how both of you perceive that relationship right that yeah. you know um I believe they're no okay so Hank's still married in that case to to I guess his wife yeah, that he's case, going, so through going through a divorce so they're just dating but they clearly view the relationship really differently, which is, you know, I think they did a pretty accurate way of depicting like what happens when one person is kind of just like, I don't know, I'm kind of cool with doing whatever. And the other person's like, no, I want you and you yeah. should just want me. And 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 so it, like just it, it explores even just like the idea of monogamy. And if it's a, and then by the end, you know, they they kind of work it out a little bit where, yeah. you know, Larry is forced to basically admit like, hey, I, I actually really do love you, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh and if you can accept this part of me of you know that i just you know i kind of just want to do my own thing sometimes then we can you know potentially you know continue but if not then we might you know we might have to kind of call it what it is which is interesting i don't yeah. i don't know if i could i could li- be in a relationship with somebody and be like all right i mean i guess well i mean yeah. but the thing about that is right and like this is i thought this was a really interesting part of the film is cuz like this is not something that's like unique to a homosexual relationship or heterosexual relationship. I think this is something people in whatever relationship relationship. address, right? It's like, you know, how comfortable are you with your partner's honesty? Yeah. Right. If I tell you like, Hey, you know, I'm interested in other people. Right. Do you embrace that honesty or do you like, does that honesty offend you? Can you accept it? Do you not accept it? What's more important your relationship or like them not being with other people. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic between larry and hank in this movie yeah um so so yeah uh the, the idea of monogamy um and then also too like the idea of like alcoholism and you know basically like, like addic- uh, addiction right so so how everything sort of starts up is we have um michael's character which is played by jim parsons um and he's the person who sort of like knows everybody and you know uh is basically friends with everybody and so everybody comes to uh to celebrate um uh, I believe it was uh, it was Harold's uh, Harold's birthday, um, and uh, and so uh, and again I'm 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 trying to remember exactly how it sort of all transpired, but I believe that Michael was a recovering alcoholic, um, in that uh, and so as soon as this party starts, Michael basically starts to I guess because of the situation and what everybody's like you know um, his his old friend um, I believe was uh, uh, was it Donald was it Allen. Well, I thought it was Alan. That was the uh, uh, correct. Yes. Yeah, uh, it was Played Alan. by Brian Hutchinson. Yeah. Alan. Uh, so Alan 
basically calls him up out of the blue and is basically crying. He's like, hey, can I come talk to you? And he, Michael's like, uh, all right, I guess. And then he promptly cancels on him. And then he now he's uh, then then he just, just shows, shows up. up. Yep. Um, and so all of that kind of forces Michael to then start drinking, which as soon as he starts drinking, you start you see his character just like flip mm-hmm. where he goes from being kind of like this likable, gracious kind of friend to everybody to like really abrasive to like now he's just like in everybody's face. He's, you know, fucking just talking shit about everybody and particularly uh, with how he treats um the cowboy yeah that is what yeah. i noticed the biggest switch in his like mannerisms his yeah demeanor. yeah because and, and also too i guess he felt more comfortable just like disrespecting the cowboy because he didn't really have any like affiliation with them he just the cowboy just showed up a cowboy is a character who just shows up uh as like a present to harold uh in this case uh from i believe uh emerald uh was uh emery emery yeah yes um and and so so yeah so that that was like interesting to see sort of how they depict addiction in that case because you like you literally see it in like real time how it goes from like or like why he can't drink right like why he has to stay away from because in the real time you see him go from being this like super like likable person to just like this fucking just asshole you know um and so so yeah uh that was really really interesting to watch uh and then also i thought uh another theme that i kind of it's clearly a prevailing theme throughout the entire uh, movie uh, is the idea of acceptance that uh, that, you know, everybody in the room basically has an issue with being accepted, be it by another person, uh, just like one to one or being accepted just in society overall. Right. Uh, That you see it at various points throughout the movie, like uh, you see. I mean, all of the phone calls that they made were exactly. I was going to say that the game yeah. rejected them or didn't accept them or maybe they weren't honest with uh, in the beginning. Yeah. So that that's that's, you know, so Michael in his kind of like, you know, now drunken stupor comes up with this game where they're all going to call people that they uh, that they loved in the past and to, to actually tell them that they loved them. Um, and you see how hard that is for them all to grapple with. And it's the most relatable thing in the world. Could you fucking call that one person yeah. that you really loved, you know, oh, uh, back in the day? No, <laughs> <laughs> that is not. You're going to, uh, you know, ex- it, it, that's like opening up a, a, a wound that had, you know, is like kind of healed a little bit, maybe a little scabbed. Yeah. Now you're just ripping the fucking scab off and now you're just picking at it. You know? Yeah, and that's going to fucking hurt. And again, there's so many relationship dynamics. And I think uh, this is also a, a theme of this film. It's like the dy- the complexity and the dynamics of every individual relationship. I mean, yeah. we had Bernard and Emery who were kind of like they had had somewhat. Of I was going to bring right? that up your next. Yeah. And Bernard Emery had to deal with Bernard calling this man and they knew about these other people. Right. But Bernard called the young man from his past who, uh, you know, they uh, who he was in the pool with, right? And Emery had to like bear with, deal with that. Yeah. And then Emery called the doctor that he was in love with and had to deal with the rejection from that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, and how do you deal with washing you know, the, the person that you're with? Call the person that they love and well, opening. Were it they up together? Were were I don't think Bernard and em, uh, Emery were were together. I think they. I don't. But yeah. they had like a. They kind of had like. Well, a thing. so the thing that kind of they share in common is, and I don't. I don't know exactly what Emery. You know what Emery's background is, but, uh, but I, the people of color, they, they were the only two people of color within like the group. And you see that sort of like laid bare of like, you know, uh, Bernard basically is like pretty fucking vocal about how he feels about Emery in terms of like, uh, Emery basically calls, I think it, it treats Bernard like he's kind of like an uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but Bernard says he's, he accepts that because he knows that Emery 
uh, is less than him in pretty much like every way. Yeah. Uh, and which is like, you know, <laughs> we got to fight after that. I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> but go they ended fucking up just getting having a drink a with you afterwards. After, after the the yeah, I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, you see with them being both people of color, sort of like what that dynamic is, especially when you think about this in the context of like a 1968. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it it helps you sort of see that in, in a little bit of a, a different light. So, uh, so yeah, so back to this idea of acceptance, uh, I think that, you know, uh, and then you have Alan who, you know, Alan is the biggest mystery of them all because Alan shows up and he has his own history of, mm. uh, uh, I believe Michael points out that, you know, and, and him and Michael were roommates in college. And so that's how they know each other. Uh, and so obviously Alan just shows up out of the blue and is, is just there. And so, uh, Clearly, Michael has like some a bead on the history of uh, of Alan. And so he talks about and Alan is pretty vocal and, and pretty specific about how he doesn't like gay people. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically is like miffed at this entire sort of setup that they have there and that everybody's there. And, you know, and he especially hates Emery, who who is uh, more, flamboyant. more flamboyant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he like basically singles him out and, and then he even at one point punches him, you know. Um, and, uh, and then you see Alan go through this thing where he's like thrown up sometimes and he's like sick and, yeah. um, and, and so it's, it's a question of, okay, well, like for one, um, cause I think Michael also talks about, you know, Alan's past of, you know, basically having a, kind of like a boyfriend, uh, whether it was in college, I, uh, I forget like exactly. Was the, the, the boyfriend the, that he may have had, yeah. the guy he admired in college. And then also Alan makes comments about Hank, uh, Hank, who's being like, Oh, he's really handsome. I just, isn't it okay to just point out that he's really handsome. It's like, well, you said it like eight times. So I yeah. think maybe there's something there. Um, uh, and so clearly Alan's kind of like, and Alan's kind of on the fritz with his wife, uh, apparently. Um, and so, and obviously he called, Michael crying. And so all that to say that Alan clearly has some issues about acceptance, whether it's him being able to accept everybody else for who they are or him coming to accept himself in sort of, you know, uh, that that he might be gay. Um, and he's clearly finding it difficult to like process that or, 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 or be okay with that. Um, and so that, that's another theme that I thought was, uh, was pretty, it hung over the, the conversation, uh, in, in the movie pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well. Um, and yeah, and there, there's other examples of it, but I think that's, that's, that's more or less the, uh, the, the, the main points of it. Um, so, uh, with all that being said, let's talk about the characters, uh, themselves, uh, who's our, just like always, who's our runner up, who's our MVP. Let's go for it. So this was this was definitely a bit challenging for me. Um, so I'm just going to rattle off a few. I thought that uh, uh, what is this guy's name? <laughs> Sorry, I have his real name here. Harold, mm -hmm. uh, played by Zachary uh, Quinto. Yeah. Is it Quinto? Quinto. Yeah, yeah. Quinto. I'm just gonna stick with that. Yeah. So I thought he was phenomenal in 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 that role like he was interesting he was charming he was funny uh if you know him i i remember him most from uh heroes not heroes the uh that's impossible not to know him from heroes no i, I remember you, him from like you Star can't Trek. even state okay okay fair but also no you yeah. gotta know him from heroes i don't even think i saw heroes what get the heroes? fuck out of here are you yeah. what i yeah, should i don't know him i gotta what the fuck? I'll I'll look it up. But like I thought I thought he <laughs> <Look it up. laughs> I thought he was great, right? Because he was like he just had a certain poise and a certain demeanor that brought like a certain like flavor uh to this cast of like very unique individuals, right? Yeah. Like he was Michael's opposite. Like Michael was this 
guy who kind of like resented himself for being gay and who you know mm. he was he was a drunk and he was angry and he was yeah. all of these things yeah, right them two sparring was probably you know the highlights of the uh, absolutely yeah and how like uh and how harold acknowledges it he's like hey you know I, we go at each other because like i'm your equal yeah like, you're not gonna like, like i i let you do this i entertain yeah. you uh yeah. particularly when he says to michael he's like when michael's like i dare you and harold is like no i dare you yeah <laughs> I, I was like yeah. i was sitting up like, yeah. i was laying in my bed uh, yeah. watching this movie and i was sitting up at that point i was like okay here we go like yeah. it's interesting to see someone like meet your match and like yeah. that's what happened I, I just thought um uh, uh zachary quinto as harold was phenomenal i thought that um uh uh uh, Matt Bomber as Donald, I thought his the way he played that character was really interesting um, and again brought a little bit of flavor to this film. In the beginning, I really disliked this character because I... Of Donald? Uh, no, no, the character that I'm, I'm getting. So Donald is also a runner-up, but my MVP for this film. Um, and in the beginning, I really disliked this character because of, again, like the pacing of the film and, mm. and how quickly things were happening, how quickly things were moving. And then once you like settle into the fact that, hey, this is like a film that's in a, a play adaption, you're like, okay, it makes more sense. Um, but I got to give it to uh, Robert De Jesus, who plays Emery in this film. Mm. I thought he brought life to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he was like the most dynamic thing in the film, whether it's like with his his uh, his struggles with Alan, his relationship with uh, Bernard, kind of, and you know, he embracing who he is, but also hiding who he is, all of those things. I thought he brought the most life to this film. To me, at the end of the movie, he's one of the things that was the most interesting to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta stop this. Uh, you disagree? You know, no, it's not. No, we agree. That's why we gotta, we gotta okay. start disagreeing more. Uh, no, but I, I think that uh, my runner-up goes to uh, Matt Bomber as uh, um, as Donald. Uh, I think he he brought what he brought to the film was just this sort of like quietness mm-hmm. where he was he was not he was kind of understated, um, but effective uh, yeah. is, is what I would say. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a, that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're on, you know, th- there's a lot of great, uh, actors here, right. Uh, that, that you have Zachary Quinto, you have, um, uh, um, Jim Parsons, um, you know, all these, all these actors who can clearly hold their weight, um, and, uh, to have him there and, uh, and, and to be effective at what he does and kind of be the glue that kind of holds everything together. Yeah. Uh, that's a challenge, but I will have to agree that, uh, uh, Robin, uh, um, uh, Jesus's turn as, um, I guess, is it, would we say Jesus or Jesus? Uh, shit. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, no. Robert de Jesus. Does that sound better? De Jesus? I don't know. Oh, we're gonna go I'm with, fucking it up. Let's go with de Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, his, his his uh depiction of Emery was it was magnetic you know it was you know every every scene that he was in he he basically brought something to it that was not going to be there if he was not in that role playing that character like it, it just wouldn't have had that pop to it yeah. you know um and I gotta say this too it's like yeah. initially like he's like a bit of brace he's loud he's like obnoxious he's flamboyant right and then like initially when you meet his character you're like oh, I don't know if I like this guy kind of like what Alan how Alan felt right but towards the end you're like fuck Alan you know like, yeah uh, um, Emery is a great guy and like yeah. 
and to me that's like really great character development yeah it wasn't that i didn't like him uh or that, that i thought he was like too much um it's just i didn't know like it's just like at the beginning of the movie when you meet somebody with a very strong personality yeah, but you don't yeah. know anything about him you're like okay like, hold yeah, on, let me, uh, give me a second back a little bit yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me let me let me get a chance to get to know you first um but as we sort of go on and, and it was when he was making that when he was talking about uh and i forget that it was like a dentist or something like that that yes, he was talking yeah, about yeah. Was when Patrick he was, or something like that yeah but he, when he was talking about how he felt about him and how like the the that uh that he never got the chance to really sort of stay and then he was going to but then didn't say what he really wanted to say to him and mm-hmm. it's like oh hey i called him up and and we met and i i you know i ended up telling him hey i want to be friends and he but he knew that like that's not what i wanted to tell you i want yeah. to tell you i love you you know um and, and so he just to, got to, hung up on it exactly bad yeah. for him because it's like yeah damn like when he finally has the opportunity yeah click yeah and, and, that's and it. it's so crushing you and know? sometimes and in life and i think that's like a, a theme of life right sometimes in life you do not get the satisfaction of closure. no in fact that that's you know and that's that's one way this movie uh this movie ends is it doesn't really end in any like clear-cut way like yeah. you're, you're you're almost not even sure what they really make of it you know at the end because it doesn't really end in this like you know uh, we're tying up all these loose ends you have just as many loose ends at the end yeah, as yeah. you have at the beginning it's like um, one of those nights when like you wake up the next morning you're just kind of like and well, that was an interesting night. And exactly, then life yeah. goes on. Yeah, um, which was uh, essentially sort of like the the point to it all, right? Is that they go through all these things, it's all revealed, and then it's just the same shit, you know, the next day, you know. Um, and so, and so, yeah. So Emery at the end of the day gets my MVP because I thought he was just uh, it was hard to deny his sort of uh, you know his magnetism as as the movie sort of went on. Um, and and I should say that the uh, the casting credits for this film. Um, <clears throat> where uh hold on let me find myself here uh where eric dawson carol uh kritzer robin uh and robin uh ehrlich uh were the casting credits uh, let's talk about the cinematography and bill pope was the cinematographer and this was edited by uh adrian van Ziel, i believe um so and i could just take this one yeah there wasn't anything amazing about the cinematography for this although it was shot like it was a play which is not an uncommon thing when you Absolutely, take a yeah. play you know and, and what the one movie i can kind of liken this to that i thought about immediately as soon as i started watching it was uh if bill street could talk because mm, okay. if bill street could talk was essentially like the same thing it, yeah it, it was also based off of a play um so that's a lot of quick cuts a lot of cutting back from because again in, in a play a lot of things are happening people mm-hmm. are touching things doing things conversations over here conversations over there so like you had to get used to the pacing at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Like it's a lot of quick cuts between characters, characters. And it's all based in like one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels like different scenes that were just like propped up. And, and then like, okay, they head over to this one scene and then they're doing yeah. things there. And, and then characters are introduced and you have to like, you can't, you don't have as much, there's not as much character building there. It's like yeah. someone enters the room, bam, they're now a part of the story. Exactly. Um, which which then speeds up the pace because now you have to tell four characters or five characters story. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to get used to. Um, so I thought the cinematography, you know, to your to your point, was like well done based off of like the the space and time in which they were working with. Yeah. Um, good. Though, hmm. when they towards the end of the party, when uh, Michael left the house, I thought that is when. Um, we got to see some really nice cinematography, right? Mm. The like long pan as Michael like leaves his apartment building and walks across the street. Um, when Harold and um, the cowboy are driving in the car and you get like that like low, really like intimate angle of them. Mm. Remember the cowboy like rests his head on Harold's shoulder, like mm. really intimate angles. Um, and also like the scene where uh, Alan is sitting at the bar alone and the camera just kind of like slowly pans in and zooms on him. Mm. And then I thought the ending scene where Michael's like just running down that uh, that long 
alley. I thought the cinematography there was nice. It's just yeah. a still camera. You just get that long shot of him yeah. running. Beautiful colors, beautiful. Um, it's just uh, really good cinematography, at, uh, especially once you at that left point. that singular yeah. space. Yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah, let's jump into the the, the soundtrack. Um, so this uh, and this person, uh, Amanda Thomas, is credited as the music supervisor. I didn't have a music by credit, so I'm just going to with music supervisor in this case. Um, so uh, there, there were a couple of tracks uh, in this this movie, and this is one of the things I, I wish I. I had time to to look up, but there was a song that was playing at the beginning and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember it was very familiar. And I remember that at certain points about the movie that they would play like this very sort of like familiar soundtrack, mm-hmm. albeit with like maybe like, you know, a, maybe not the original artist who like created it or, or just somebody else different than who we know that song to be famous for. Yeah. Um, and so they did that at various points about this, this, uh, this, this movie. Um, and I, and I appreciated it. Uh, it was, it's, 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 it's a the soundtrack was welcomed in this case in that it was uh it wasn't overdone but at the same time it was put at like strategic moments when you know maybe the dialogue was a little less heavy yeah um uh and then they had like the dancing scene where they and, and again my it's because my memory is terrible but i appreciated like the dancing scene and, and the vibe uh of that all and then you see alan walk in and he's just like what's going on here yeah um and and yeah, I, th- I thought all that was uh, just really well done. So I thought the soundtrack paired with the costume and set design mm. um, was like, it, it kind of like filled the space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a cast of really great actors. We've got a really interesting story. We've got really good dialogue, right? But there's still, you know, uh, you got to plug and play a lot of the other elements, right? The music mixed with the the way that the characters were dressed. Like it, it told you when this thing was happening like the space and time it was happening without having to like say it out loud right uh again the the dance scene that didn't feel out of place the music in that scene was like loud it was it was very much like a somewhat of a character like i think the the, this costume the set designs were like really a part of the character of this like house party yeah um so i thought it was done tastefully it was what it needed to be. The music was prominent when it needed to be. The movie movie uh, was muted when it needed to be because there was so much dialogue there. Yeah. Um, but it definitely was present in the film. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let's talk about any sort of like last thoughts that we have of The Boy and the Band. I think we wrap this bad boy up. Last thoughts. And I'm even hesitant to say this thing. Uh, on the surface, this movie, you know, it's about like uh, what four or five like gay men at this house party in 1968, right? That's what you get at the beginning. At the very end of this movie, you realize that them being gay has nothing to do with the movie. Oh, you see, I disagree. I think that them being gay has a pretty significant amount to do. With I mean, the movie. sure, they, they, because that is who they are and this is what they are. But like, I feel like the themes of it when I when I was like taking some notes uh, as I was going through this movie and like the themes that I took notes of were more about like it's movies about like identity like love and loss mm-hmm. um, it's about dealing with uh, like you know, like your own inner demons it's about um, like relationship dynamics right mm-hmm. none of that really for me had anything to do with like their sexuality but I, but I, I think so because <clears throat> you have Alan who's sort of the catalyst for all those things you're talking mm-hmm. about Alan sort of forces everybody to confront those things. So like if you're talking about the idea of like monogamy, things like that, right? So Alan comes in and, you know, he immediately takes a liking to to Hank. Um, but Hank's in a relationship with Larry clearly. And it causes friction because now Larry's a little bit jealous of uh um of uh Alan and and and, um, and, and Donald and Hank. I'm sorry. No, Larry was j- 
No, no, no. It was yeah. Hank who's jealous of kind of like Larry. Yeah, he was jealous of Donald. he was Jerry. No, uh, Hank was jealous of Larry, and obviously it was revealed that Donald and and Larry, Larry had hooked, hooked up. up. Yeah. Um, but but as soon as Alan comes in, Alan's like, oh yeah, Hank's pretty handsome, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then Larry, you can tell is just like, what? Yeah, what are you yeah about? Who are you? What are you doing here? You know? Yeah. Um, and so so what I'm saying is is that. Alan comes in and causes this friction, you know, um, in any in through all aspects of the of the film, right? Uh, that he forces everybody to to deal with their their own acceptance, right? Because at first they try to hide the fact that they're all gay, which is like, come on, like yeah. we're just gonna, we're all gonna hide that we're gay, right? Um, so at first they don't want him to even like, so he comes in and you know they they basically try to like hide Emery because they're like, all right, there's no way we can really you know pretend that you're not gay. So you know we're we're gonna hide you in the back or something, you know. Uh, and so I, I think that their identity in that case had everything to do w- w- with the film. Um, I appreciated the the the, the themes that didn't necessarily weren't necessarily as connected to to their their identity. But I think that that was kind of like the point of the film is yeah. is this idea of acceptance, and it, it's impossible to talk talk about this idea of acceptance without you know giving a nod to the fact that they're uh, they're gay men, um, and having to deal with their own acceptance of themselves, much less the acceptance of them with society. And Alan, in that case, kind of represents society, which is perfect, right? Because it's like Alan is like adamantly like against gay people but he's also a little bit gay himself you know um and so it's just like it's that society in a nutshell of just like yeah society is like no we hate gay people but also some of us might also be gay and and the reason i said this because i think if you put like uh if you you know replace this cast with all women the story is still there right like the meat of the story like the heart of the story those themes are still there Mm -hmm. i think if you replace this cast with like uh, a lot of like heterosexual men and women i think like m- the majority of the themes that are still oh yeah they're still going to be present but i think that they're different you relate to them there's a different relationship with them because yeah. the so whole maybe thing for is me, based their on, like yeah. sexual identity is a bit muted and some of the other themes for me at towards the Hung end of the large movie, right where that where the larger story yeah i i think yeah that that that, that makes sense right like that you picked up different things out of it outside of the fact that like concentrating on the fact that they're all gay men and and you know all that entailed in terms of the actual story itself was wasn't as consequential to you as some of the s- smaller sort of themes but i guess what i'm saying is, is like the underlying theme to it all is the fact that uh, that they're they're, yeah. they're they're gay but um but yeah I, I enjoyed the movie um i don't necessarily enjoy the fact that, like the the because I remember this and I this was hard for me with uh, if Bill Street could talk as well. Uh, it's a little hard for me to get into the whole it's a play as a movie scenario. Yeah. That's that's a little it's because it 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 forces me not to suspend my disbelief. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or suspension of what do you call it? Suspension of disbelief or belief. Suspension Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, whatever it is, it forces me not to like. Like it, it makes me very aware that they're doing that. That's active stylistic yeah. choice within a movie that used to be a play, you know. And and so it takes me a while to like 
it has to be a really good story in order for me to really get invested. Yeah. And this was actually a pretty good story. So same. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this film. I didn't buy into the movie until I was maybe about like 15 to 20 minutes in yeah. um, to where you're like, you're introduced to the majority of the characters at that point in time. Then you're like, okay, you know, there's a story being put together here. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think all of the actors in this movie had a stellar performance, even though we only highlighted a few. I mean, uh, even Michael Benjamin Washington, who play, played Bernard, I thought he, that first phone call yeah. that he made, his, yeah, it was his, devastating, his yeah. style of storytelling, um, I and how he like code switches yeah. from like you know he's just talking to them and then like he starts talking to them and he's like now he's like in the south <laughs> yeah, yeah his how his like mannerisms change how his dictation of the story changes when yeah. he's telling the story versus when he's talking to like emery for example yeah um i thought he was great in this movie uh there's so many really good things about this movie uh but again it did take a while for me to buy into this so uh, i you know I've, I've already recommended this movie to several people i would recommend it to uh to any of our listeners uh, here on the vade podcast yeah uh ladies and gentlemen that was our press play on on uh, the boys in the band uh we uh we watched a movie we talked about it uh we suggest that you do the same leave a comment below talk to us about you know what you think about the movie um did you like it not like it uh do you think that some of the themes that they dealt with were 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 interesting um i do want to throw a question out there to our listeners um and this is something i thought about something i talked about it with a friend um is it's it's the majority of these actors in this film were like heterosexual men playing gay men is that you know, not that no, no, not actually, that, no. I think literally everybody, every character in this movie is gay. What? I yeah. thought. No, I thought I'm pretty sure. Like, no. mo- like several Jim Parsons, Zachary, Zachary Quinto, Quinto, he's gay. Yeah. Is Jim Parsons gay? Jim life? Parsons gay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Damn, I'm so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I talked to a friend who also watched this movie, and like, even she was like, "Wait, like, are aren't these like most of these guys like straight men playing?" No, women? no, no. Yeah, I think that that was one of the the things. I, w- I wouldn't say that's unique about the film, but. Although I guess you could argue that that literally all the main characters in it are, are gay, um, yeah. But oh, no, yeah. All, all I, I didn't. I, so so far as I know, there's some of the characters that who I don't actually I'm not familiar with them. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe they they are maybe they aren't. I don't know. But I don't like Matt Bomber. He's he's gay. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, again, her her take on it was like, um, you know, is you know as in the gay community like, mm-hmm. like how is that received? Like, are these men like overplaying it? Like, is was Emery overacting? Is is this like? is this as real as the film feels and i, I think that's an interesting conversation it's like i think that is yeah. when, when you talk about like people who are uh uh again and this happens often people who are heterosexual playing gay characters or people who are uh you know british playing american characters or people yeah. who are uh when brian cranston played a, a, a you know paraplegic like yeah how often and when is it acceptable for like someone who's not something to play something and blah 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 yeah I don't know. That's a that's a longer conversation, and uh, we're we don't I, have time for yeah, it. But I thought it was it. interesting. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear like commentary on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So so leave your comment below with what you think about it. Uh, and uh, and yeah. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I think we can go ahead and wrap this fucking episode up. Uh, a little bit of an abbreviated episode. We were having some tech issues. It seems like we're always having tech issues. Uh, but we'll uh, in any case, if you listen all the way through, obviously you're a fan of the show. We appreciate you. So go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that share button, share the shit with anybody and everybody who you believe can benefit from it, which is more or less everybody. everybody. Um, and so, so yeah, we'll keep pushing. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Till then, uh, we will hit the very usual protocol. Paid out. Peace. <laughs>